Amen. My goodness. What do you do after that? <clears throat> so good to be with you guys. That worship was awesome, wasn't it? My goodness. Let's give Daryl and the team a hand, man. My goodness. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I just love these kinds of rooms like this where it's tight and we're all cozy and uh, it's not going to be much standing room for altar times, but uh, we'll be together. Well, I'm just so honored to be here. I have so much love and respect in my heart for for, uh, Daryl and Bethany and uh, just everything that's going on here. And uh, I have a forever fixed uh, uh, picture in my mind of Bethany at the Call Nashville in 2007, 7707. Just her on her knees praying, and I think it was the most powerful thing of the whole day. And uh, her on her knees speaking to God, and I didn't really even know her. We were just getting to know each other just a little bit there, and that riveted me so deep. I feel like this is the most powerful thing that's happening is this girl on her knees talking to Jesus is the most powerful thing that's happening today. (laughs) I was like, I got to know her. I got to be around her. I'm serious. I was like, man, you don't get that stuff in a McDonald's drive-thru, man. <laughs> that's what I'm saying to myself, saying, man, whatever she's been hanging out, that's where I want to be. So, uh, you know, praise God, we get to run together, and uh, I am, I'm feeling a stirring of revival, and um, anyway, I just, I don't even know what else to say. Lord, we love you, amen. I, uh, me and my family have been a part of the House of Prayer in Kansas City for the last 13 and a half years, and uh, born again in revival. First six months of my salvation was the move of the Holy Spirit in northwest Arkansas, and uh, I got addicted to the presence of God. And I got wrecked in that early season, you know, uh, when I was first born again. I got addicted to the presence of God, and I just began to hunger. There began to be awakened in me something so deep. God, I want to see you take over cities and regions. I want to see you take over, God. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit taking over cities and regions to where the Word of God is spoken. Guys, we have a a, a book in the Bible called the Book of Acts that gives us a template of what happens when seasons change and God takes over cities. I mean, you understand that Paul came in in a season of revival. 25,000 people came into the kingdom in Ephesus. The full idol industry of worship to Queen Diana was bankrupted. Can you imagine bankrupting an idol industry? And everyone burning witchcraft books and the Word of God breaking out in the region. 25,000 new converts in a city. I mean, what would it look like? God began to hit Boston and the power of God and the Word of God begins to grow. It said in uh, uh, Acts 19 that the Word of God grew and multiplied in Ephesus. In Thessalonica, they said these men are preaching another Caesar, another king. They're turning the world upside down. They're turning the world upside down. And I believe in that. And I believe that what God's doing is He is building a wineskin to be able to handle what He wants to release. And what we're doing right now God is beginning to awaken. I, I just, <clears throat> first off, I just love all these songs that are coming out. I don't know about you, but if just pretty much every song that Holy Spirit is breathing on these days, it's all about heaven. It's all about heaven coming down. It's about God is beginning to, through the music, He's beginning to awaken the body of Christ to the realities around the throne of God. Now, I want you to understand that. 
that God is beginning to connect the body of Christ to the realities around heaven. And it's beginning to be an increasing longing. That's what he's doing through the music. The music's prophesying to us of where we're going. And God is beginning to awaken the church saying, we have done it in our flesh. We have tried to do it in our own strength, in our own ingenuity, in our own wisdom. And what God's doing is he's beginning to raise up a new breed of leaders and songwriters that are beginning to stop the madness and begin to get connected to what's going on in heaven and beginning to build our lives and our ministries around how heaven operates. And when heaven finds a witness on the earth, that will be the magnet that will pull it down. It's called agreement. That's how the kingdom operates is agreement. And when heaven sees a witness on the earth, that's what heaven will bear witness to. And I... <clears throat> I got, a, I got possessed with, and I, I, I preached it at, uh, uh, at one thing, and I'm just, it's back on me. You know, you, I carried a baby from five months, from August to December, and sometimes you just want somebody else to care for it. It's like, God, I can't even hang out with that no more. It's just such a strong burden. I don't mess with it. I gave birth to it at one thing, and it's been off of me for the last few months as the Lord's been letting me recuperate from carrying something for five months. But earlier this week, I was teaching in my intercession class, in Kansas City, and God began to awaken me again. You know, he just comes in and he just cuts you. And he just began to cut me again with God's dream and his longing. And, uh, and I just, um, and I really feel like what's happening, I mean, that, that's, this is what I feel like is happening in this hour is God's beginning to get the body of Christ asking, God, what is it you want? What is it you want, God? What are you after, God? What's the dream of God? No, no, I don't feel like we've ever stopped to really wait before Him to say, God, what is it you're dreaming about? What is the deepest dream of your heart? We'll always say that we would love it, but what is it? And as I've wrestled with this, and as I've watched from Eden to the prophecy in Bethel, to the tabernacle of Moses, to the tabernacle of David, to the incarnation, to the indwelling spirit, and to the Bible ending with the city coming out of heaven, God's dream is for two realms to become one. God's dream is to dwell on the earth in full intimacy and unity with His people. With no shame, with no hindrances, with no blockages, that we could fully be known by God and that we could fully know God. And that mankind would operate as everything God dreamed that we would rule out of that place. And what God's beginning to do is awaken the body of Christ for union. I'm talking about for heaven to come down. And I'm not talking about a good re revival service where a few of us fall down. Beloved, do you understand the Bible ends with a 1,500 mile wide, long, and high city coming out of heaven. We're not going to float around like a bunch of fat babies on clouds forever. We're not. We've been fed a pack of lies that we've completely had an end-time eschatological view of where this thing is going. The gospel is about two realms becoming one and us fully living, alive, and ruling on this earth in resurrected bodies. My goodness, it's time to get saved. I put it on Twitter recently. What's your 5,000-year vision? 
Because that will affect your 50-year vision, <laughs> which will affect your five-month vision, which will affect your five-week, five-day, five-minute vision. <laughs> so I'm just getting wrecked again. I'm feeling that Romans 8 groan. Huh? Oh, <laughs> I don't usually laugh when I say that, but praise God. Maybe that's just Holy Spirit bearing witness. <laughs> Because it's just, ugh. Isn't it crazy? Everybody just put your hand on your belly. My goodness. Everybody say, good evening, Holy Spirit. <laughs> God snuck up on us. You know that? He snuck up on us. We said, Jesus, come into my life. And he put eternity within us. And that very eternal reality living within us called Holy Spirit, he is a spirit of intercession. Romans 8 says, we have received the spirit of adoption. So we can walk around saying, thank you for good hugs. No. The spirit of adoption cries, Abba, Father, come finish what you started. Come finish what you started. Come bring two realms and make them one. Because the cry of the Holy Spirit within you is to shake off mortal life and put on immortality and to fully be absolved in God. And when every stadium has been filled and every soul has been saved, you will be sitting in the corner crying because you're made for even more than that. <laughs> and we've got to understand that's where we're going. That's what's made. When I begin to connect with that, it began to help me. That there is something so deep God has snuck up on me and He stuck eternity within me and I'm a person caught between two time frames. I'm caught in between two worlds. And I'm made for another age and I'm spirit is longing to shake off mortal life. Do you, are you in touch with that eternal cry? Beloved, we've made ourselves way too at home here. Psalm 17, David says, men, other men, they find their portion in this life. But as for me... I will be satisfied when I awaken your likeness. And I believe that God wants to restore an eternal groan, an eternal longing, an eternal cry within us that God would fully make the two realms one. That's the eternal cry, but God answers the cry in the today and in the between seasons by releasing seasons of revival, seasons of the inbreaking of the kingdom that thins the veil where God satisfies the longings of our heart, sweeps cities into the kingdom, and He wounds us all at the same time for more. Isn't that crazy? In the paradoxes of the kingdom, He satisfies and wounds you all at the same time. Isn't that the nature of, if any time God's ever moved on you, He is touching a cry in you, and He's wounding you for more. All at the same time. And there's very few people in history that have actually touched this longing. There, there are. There's very few people that have seen it, and then very, even more few, very, very few people of that category who have even fully thrown themselves in to becoming the answer of God's desire. And David is one of them. Guys, I want to tell you, the man moved heaven. The man was a man after God's own heart. He's jacked up, got issues. But the man so moved God God threw down his ace card. He says, I've been holding on that the, there's going to come a seed from the woman that's going to crush the head of the serpent. And he's going to sit on a certain throne. 
And he's going to come through a certain lineage. And I've been waiting. Where is the man that is in connect with what heaven wants? Where is the young man that has connected to how heaven rules? Where's he at? Where's he at? And David, as a young man, got the vision, went through hell and high water. Even when he had everything that earth could give him, and he had all of his rest in God, he was still in pain that he lived better than God did in his generation. And this desire so moved God, God says, oh, you've moved me. You want to build me a house? You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And I've been holding an ace card called Messiah. And I've been waiting for the heart that would move heaven. And because of your vow and because of your life, I'm throwing it down. And you're going to be Messiah's grandfather. And he's going to sit on your throne forever. And he is going to rule through your lineage because you've learned how heaven rules. My goodness. Men move heaven. Men move heaven. Men shake heaven. Men have the, the ability to, to move heaven. And I want to be a part because I feel like in the same way that God raised up a man after his own heart that brought the promise, so God's releasing the spirit of David on a generation to bring the fulfillment. Hallelujah. <laughs> Everybody just take a deep breath. <laughs> I just don't even know what Harley I'm talking about. I'm just, just kind of puking on you guys. So that's, you know, misery just loves company. We're, we're good. I'm really happy. But I'm feeling this weekend, I'm feeling the pain of the Psalm 69 vision of David, where he was the song of the drunkards, where he was the reproach of his family. Why? Zeal for your house. It's eating me up. I'm... I have a virus that's consuming me and everybody makes fun of me because there's a virus God let in on the inside of me. And I am the mockery of everyone. I don't even understand myself. I'm a freak and then I got issues and I start sinning and failing in those areas. <laughs> so I've got drunks make fun of me. The, the kings, the, the, the high order people make fun of me. My family won't own me, and I got sin issues. <laughs> I got issues. I mean, that's just craziness. He goes, and because something got a hold of me when I was younger, and it's called zeal. Zeal for his house. Zeal for his house has consumed me. Isn't that amazing when Jesus came in in John 2? I mean, this is how Jesus started his ministry. In John 2, if I came into Boston, I'd come in with business cards, and I'd say, we need to connect, you know, do some lunches and some coffees. I really feel like I got some things to help you. You can help me. I want to learn. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, comes into the temple and goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, wields the whip and starts turning the place upside down. Now, that's crazy. That's his first day in Boston. <laughs> and he goes to the epicenter. He goes to the best, the biggest, and just destroys everything. That's crazy. But this is the thing that blows me away. Even before the Holy Spirit was poured out, the disciples looked at each other, and together they went, Psalm 69. The Holy Spirit breathed, and they go, oh, my goodness. 
David's grandson looks just like David. That same zeal that consumed David, it's on his grandson. Zeal for your house, it's eating me up. Are you eaten? Has the virus begun to make its way on the inside of your life? That God would have a resting place in Boston? That God would have a dwelling place in Boston? Now, He does here. But I want Him to have places all over Boston. I want Him to fill our homes, our churches. I want there to be sacred spaces to where men and women can come at 2 in the morning. And as David's doing a devotional, or Daryl's doing a devotional, demons leave people. I mean, think about that. David just stringing on his guitar and an oppressive spirit leaving Saul. I want to tell you something right now. The sweet psalmist of Israel, there is an anointing coming on singers and musicians. I just want to say it to you. It's not an IHOP thing. We're not just coming. I'm not doing the IHOP buzz. I've been teaching. I've been at IHOP for 14 years. I have not. The things I'm feeling right now, I don't know if I felt such an increase of the release of it. And I felt like the Lord told me for 2014, this is the year of the revelation of intercession. Now, I come from IHOP. That's all we talk about. And I've never heard that before. Which I may, which I may believe that we're going public at a whole nother level. What used to be plowing, what used to be basement years, we're about to start being seen. Things are about to start being seen at another level. I don't know what all that entails, but I tell you, there's, it's, about, it's, about a, it's about an obsession. And, about, and it, it starts with this, God, what do you want? Fill me with what you desire. And what does God desire? He wants dwelling places on the earth. I mean, you ever read 2 Samuel 7? It's crazy. David's gone through hell and high water. He's got everything. He's at rest. And he's still in pain, saying, Nathan, I'm living in this house of cedar, and God's out there in that tent, and that's not okay. Nathan says, do whatever's in your heart, David. He goes to sleep that night, and the Lord says, tell my servant David, would you build me a house? You would do this? Where have I ever asked anyone ever to build me a house? He goes, I've never articulated that request not once. He says, I want you to tell David he's not going to build me a house. I'm going to build his house. I'm going to be with him, and I'm going to bring the Messiah through his loins. I believe that God wants to begin to grip a generation with this vision. Turn me to Psalm 132. Let's just take our time tonight. I'm going to ask. There's several things I want to hit tonight. I feel like he gave me four psalms tonight to give you. This is our first one. That was my introduction. <laughs> Hallelujah. We love you. God, I feel like you're doing it. You know, Psalm 132 is written by Solomon. You know, the wisdom of a man's life is usually unveiled in the next generation. Solomon, who is the wisest man in the world, this is before he got stupid later in his life, he should have gone and asked for it again. He needed another dose of it. <laughs> but this is right after the encounter at Gibeon where he's, God says, ask and I'll give you whatever you want. He says, I want wisdom because I'm an idiot. 
And my father has embarrassed me in front of everybody saying I'm young and inexperienced. He says, give me wisdom. God gives him wisdom. And as the wisest man in the world, he builds the temple. And then he makes this prayer in Psalm 132. And you'll see it displayed in 2 Chronicles 6 and 7. The phrase is this, Lord, remember David. (laughs) First words out of his mouth is, remember my dad. I'm going to hitch the wisdom of my life to my father. He says, I want you to remember David and all his afflictions. Look at this. He says, how he swore to the Lord, and he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house, or I will not go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I, everybody say I. I want you to understand, David understood personal responsibility. He says, if this thing is going to happen in my day and in my generation, it is going to require something of me to become the womb for the purposes of God to be manifest. Many of us want God to do everything. He's going to do everything. But the people like David understand that when revelation hits you, it thrusts you into the storyline. Revelation thrusts you into the storyline, and it takes you off of the stands, and it gets you in the game. And David got obsessed. He goes, until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And then he says this next phrase. He says, behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, which is simply Bethlehem. And he says, you know what? When I was a kid, I heard stories about the presence of God in the midst of the people. And I said in my heart in those days, I am not going to live for the American dream. I am going to spend my life on seeing God's presence manifested in my generation. And whatever that looks like in my generation, I'm going to fully resign myself to that end. And then he says, we found it in the fields of the woods. Which means he had to go on a search because that which used to be holy had become just common. And David had to go on a search to restore the presence of God in his generation. I just want to say it as simple as I can. I believe God is tattooing Psalm 132 on the church in this hour. I believe the vow, the vision, the obsession of King David. Because this is the issue right here. He's touching the church with a bigger vision than the American dream. He's delivering us from what we get only from God. Most believers never graduate for what I get from Jesus. I want to tell you, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I am justified. I am set apart in the very presence of God. There are limitless supplies, but many what God is bringing the church unto, it's just not what I get from Jesus, but what Jesus gets from me. And if you live with a consumer Christianity to where it is about only what he gives you and never graduate, you will get stagnant and complacent in your faith. Who we are in Christ must thrust us into answering his desire on the earth. 
And we have got to begin to make that shift. And you never graduate from either one of them, but one fuels the other. Because in 2 Samuel 7, David had rest from all of his enemies. I'm blessed, but God's not resting. I'm blessed, but God's not resting. What do you do when I'm blessed and God's presence is absent in the middle of the church? I'm talking about he's there, but I'm talking about presence. And I'm talking about places where God is adored day and night. Places to where God is adored. He is beautiful. Amen. I just want to say it as easy as I can. Get ready because it's coming to a city near you. The vision, the vow, the virus is out. And if you just put your pinky toe in that river of God, what's on your heart? If you put your pinky toe in that river, it will catch you up and take you where you could have never dreamed. You may look like an idiot to people. They may make fun of you in bars. They may make fun of you in high places. And your parents may think you're weird. And your loved ones may think you're weird. But I'm telling you right now, that's a small price to pay to be able to have the heart and the heart of heaven and being able to be a womb to see his purposes manifest on there. If we could find a generation of Davids that could press through the fear of man, that could press through the stigma that comes with obsession and the virus. If all you got to do, you don't have to give yourself the virus. He is the virus giver. <laughs> it's called zeal. I'm not talking about charismatic personality. I'm talking about zeal. Zeal that affects your sleeping patterns. Zeal that gets you delivered from your big screen. Now, this is practical. Zeal that gets up into your business and the alarm goes off at 5.30 and you didn't set it. And you're up and he begins to awaken you. begin to find, oh my goodness, this thing's alive. He's calling me to pray. He's calling me to find myself in the midst of a people who are praying. The power of my voice. The power of... of the, uh, do you understand what I'm saying? David says, I won't give rest. I won't give sleep. I am not going to give way to the subtleties of slumber. I am going to fight to stay awake. If you put your pinky toe in this river, it will take you where you can never imagine. Begin to ask him, God hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Do it. Sing that song. <laughs> Hit me with your best shot. I've actually had to come out of me sometimes and pray, come on, God. Here's a big old bullseye, God. Fill me with the knowledge of your will. Fill me with what you burn with, God. God, whatever it does, and I tell you, it's not pretty. It's Psalm 42 seasons where one season you're on fire, the next season, oh God, oh God. And then you call your soul back up. Come on, God, come on, God. And oh God, oh God. <laughs> I'm really normal. That's overrated. Normal's overrated. Balanced people don't do anything. An imbalanced man, an imbalanced man got the Messiah through his loins. An imbalanced man 
had God edit his future. In Acts 13, the Bible says he fulfilled all the will of God in his generation. I mean, you go at, this is what I believe. If you could get so lost in God's heart, this is what God's delivering us in this hour. He is doing this. We have a generation. What are my dreams? What am I made for? My calling. What am I called to do for God? And God says, if you could but pluck the streams in my dream, every dream you could ever imagine will be manifested in and through you. See, because we're using God as a stepladder for where we want to go. It's actually manipulation in using God. I'll put in my time. We've got to get whatever, my, whatever he wants to put on my life. And God says, won't you throw yourself into my dream? And there's more than you could ever imagine or think that I will do in and through you. And I tell you, he'll take little dorks who can't talk well, aren't that smart, aren't that gifted. I'm convinced if we can find a couple of people that can't do anything right and touch that, he'll do more through you than the most gifted, resourceful people in the whole wide world. <laughs> oh, Lord, do it. Do it, God. I want to touch your dreams. I want to touch your dreams. What are your dreams, God? Fill me with your dreams. Fill me with your dreams, God. What's your dreams for Boston? What are your dreams for Boston, God, for New England? Begin to ask and begin to inquire. God, what are your, what are your dreams? What do you dream about, God? I want you to fill me with your dreams. And let those dreams become a living reality that keep me up. Whew. That's the new breed of leaders he's raising up. I mean, think about this. I even believe there's great editing processes for the people that get lost up in this. I mean, think about this. David, a man after God's own heart who fulfilled all the will of God in his generation. Did anybody read the adultery and the murder issue? Adultery and murder got edited out of the storyline in Acts 13. <laughs> That's intense. I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. On top of Satan moving on him and him taking census of the whole nation and 70,000 people dying. There's like 10 sins David did that are crazy. And God says he fulfilled all the will of God in his generation. <laughs> what? God, did you, did you see what we, did you read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel? It's unbelievable. I believe he wants to tattoo Psalm 132 on our spirits. And this is all he wants from you. If you want it, what are your dreams, God? What do you want, God? What do you dream about? If you do that, he'll take you. Turn me to Psalms 27. I just want to give a couple of these. Psalms 27. What was it that David touched? We know this verse, but we don't know this verse. David says, one thing I've desired of the Lord. This one thing I will seek. That I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And that I would behold the beauty of the Lord and that I would inquire in his temple. David is saying when surrounded on every side by enemies and people wanting to kill him, he says, there's one thing I want from God. 
One thing I desire of God. And I would put that before you tonight. What's the one thing you want from God? David said, God, you can have the money. You can have the influence. You can have the kingdom. You can have everything. But there's one thing you can't take. I want to be closer to you than anybody that's ever lived. And I want to see you more than anybody that's ever lived. And I want to ask you questions. <laughs> it's called inquiring in his temple. Guys, I want you to begin to get a vision in this hour. The one thing that would possess your life. What keeps you up at night? Is it the size of your bank account or the size of your present day experience in God? What pains you? What fills your mind? What fills your heart? Because whatever your daydream is, is mostly where your heart is at. And I want the thing, if I'm going to be up at night, I want it to be because God, what are the areas that I can remove in my life to be able to expand my heart and my present day experience and causing this thing to grow hotter and to me to feel your presence more and for me to get more aligned with heaven. What are the things that need to get removed? The people that are actually distracting me from these things and for me to get connected to those things in heaven. I want to be closer to you than anybody that's ever lived and I want to see you. Everybody say the beauty of the Lord. I mean, what a word, beauty. Beauty, beautiful. You got to do that song, man. Beauty. I want to tell you what gripped David. David was a student of God. His whole life was studying the personality of God. He was lost in the beauty of God, the beauty of God's mercy, the beauty of God's goodness, of God's righteousness, of God's justice, of God's love, of God's wisdom. He was lost in the search and the discovery of God. Beloved, I want to tell you something right now. He is beautiful. And you will never get used to Him. Hear me? You will never get used to Him, and He is not boring. And the Bible is not boring. You're boring. I'm boring. We're boring people. We are such half-hearted, low-capacity people that get thrilled with whatever Hollywood's releasing. I haven't seen some of the Facebook posts. We have been talking more about Noah the last two weeks, and about this and that? When's the last time we had people groping for greater revelation in the Word and filling up Facebook posts over a breakthrough in the Word of God as Noah's filled our time and our lives for the last two weeks? Come on! That shows us right there we're such half-hearted creatures. The beauty of God is divine entertainment. He is fascinating, he is stunning, and you will never get used to him. There are burning creatures around the throne of God who have been singing the same word, they've been in the same room with the same person singing the same word forever. I mean, if you're in a room with me for more than 15 minutes, you're like, hey, can we move on? <laughs> can this be like a next person, please? Think if you're in the same room with the same person. Holy! 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 All them eyes short-circuiting. And that's just a snippet of the mercy of God that just hit them. And then they defragment. All them eyes pop back open. 
and then another ray hits them. Ah! Holy, holy, holy. How can you be looking at the same person and see something new every time you look at him? Great is the Lord. His greatness is unsearchable, which means we have job security. You will never get used to him. There will never be a day that you've arrived because he will forever be doing this to you. Who loves the power of revelation? No, no. I don't know. I don't know if you do. I am addicted to the spirit of revelation. One phrase jumping off one of these pages has enough to keep me entertained for two weeks. Have you touched that? Who loves it when a, when a phrase jumps off the Bible? Who loves it when a verse jumps off the Bible? Oh, there's nothing greater. And that feeling in that moment is how you will spend forever. <laughs> Amplified to eternity. I'm not talking about, that's interesting. No, wonder, awe, fascination, questions that never get answered. And you're inquisitive like a child. And you're hungry and you want more and more and more. And you live in perpetual awe and wonder and fascination. That's entertaining. That's divine entertainment. And we're such half-hearted creatures. Wondering what Hollywood's coming out with next month. I appreciate good movies here and there. But beloved, there's a, there's a feast before us. And we will feel regret when we step on the other side of eternity. I promise you. You know what will hit you? It'll be joy. I'm here. And it'll be, oh God, you mean I had access to this? Nobody told me. He goes, yes, I sent Corey to you in April of 2014. <laughs> I'm just playing. The Lord tell me. I sent somebody to you, Corey. I tell you, we're going to feel regret. It'll be pain because we're going to look at all the things that we had access to. And we live like beggars. The pain will be to realize we were billionaires and that we lived on 20 cents a day. That will be the painful regret. And it will be joy at the same time. I want you to know you were made by God and you were made for God. And the deepest longings of your heart will only be fulfilled in God. I want to tell you He is so pleasurable. He is so fascinating. He is so inebriating. He is so glorious. He is so stunning. There is no one like our God. And I love him so much. I love him. I love to think on him. I love to gaze on the sun. I love to fellowship with Holy Ghost. I love the personhood of God. The personality of God. The nature of God. The heart of God. I want to get lost. And David said, that's all I want. I can have everything else. I want his face. But I want to be a student of beauty. <laughs> A student of beauty. I want to gaze on beauty. And I want to inquire. God, what are you doing? Inquiring means asking questions. Living in perpetual inquisitive mode. 
living your life in perpetual inquisitions to God. God, what are you doing? How do you feel about this person? This board meeting I'm about to step into, what are you saying? I want to inquire in his temple. God wants to set up places. That's why he's raising up J-Hop Boston. He's going to raise up many houses of prayer in this region for a place for a young man to go and build a history with God to where there is a collective, corporate spirit of revelation, spirit of devotion. And I want to tell you right now, you know why God's doing? He's beginning to do something corporately in this hour. And these songs that we're singing are beginning to give language to our hearts and helping us connect with God in ways we never could before. And they're actually serving as on-ramps into the heart of God. I want you to get lost in beauty. Amen? That's the second psalm. And then there's another couple of psalms that are gripping me this year. It's all I've pretty much read between January and March. Two, I, people ask me, I'm not doing my Bible reading plan very well this year. Because I've read two chapters over and over again. And I can't stop reading them. And you know what? That's okay. Because I'm on fire. And I feel his fire when I read the Bible. And I've read the same verses over and over again for 90 days. <laughs> it's Psalms 2 and Psalms 110. And I feel like Psalms 2 is a very appropriate psalm for Boston. The epicenter. The epicenter of humanistic thought. Of thoughts and training that are seeking to throw off the archaic, ancient bonds and cords of God. Let's get delivered from God. And let's rule for ourselves. And David is lost in Psalm 2 looking at nations going... And this is a full culmination that he's seeing. And David's looking at this going, Why do the nations rage? <laughs> they are insane. The people's plot a vain thing. The rulers take counsel. The kings set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed. And this is what they say. We don't want you to rule us anymore. We're going to get delivered from your bonds and your cords. Your laws we will not be held by. You are old. You are a past item. And we're going to rule for ourselves on how we see fit. Well, he who sits in the heavens laughs. <laughs> Just like that. And he looks down saying, you guys are out of your minds. And the Bible says he's going to hold them there in derision. And he's going to speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure with this revelation. You're not going to rule. My son is going to rule. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I have set my anointed one, my anointed Messiah, and he is going to rule from Zion. Are you with me tonight? I want to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over Boston. Jesus Christ is King over Boston. And I command every other ideology to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. He is Lord, He is King, and He is God. And He will rule the nations. He's the one appointed and anointed by the Father 
to rule the nations, and he's going to rule from Mount Zion. The city of Jerusalem will be the oval office of King Jesus to the ends of the earth. So he's just flipping the script on everybody. Jesus is ruling, and he's ruling from Jerusalem. The Jewish Messiah ruling from Mount Zion. That just flips everybody's script. That just messes the whole thing up because nobody wants to hear that. A Jewish king from Mount Zion. And then, now hear me, this is the point that's been getting me. Just stay with me a little bit longer. David gets to hear a conversation between the father and the son. Who would like to hear that one? I mean, there's a few times David gets such intimate encounters with God. He then hears the father say to the son, I will declare the decree. He's now going to hear, how is this king going to rule from Zion? How is he going to see his rule extended? I will declare the decree. You are my son. (laughs) Today I have begotten you. And then he looks at the son and he says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. He says, you shall rule them with the rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And then he looks back to the kings and he says, be wise, you kings. He says, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Hallelujah. What a good psalm. Can I tell you something, what I'm feeling? Do you know what David's overhearing? How does heaven rule? How does heaven govern? And it's this. And I want you to know he's saying it to you tonight. Who in here is in Christ? Good. Well, when you hear him saying to the son, you're my son, I want you to hear him speaking it over you. And I want you to receive it for yourself because God is releasing the revelation of intercession. And God always begins intercession by this. And I want to say something to you right now. God is flipping the script. Intercessors just aren't a few loud women anymore in a back room. The loud women taught me how to pray, so thank you, ladies. Thank you for holding the line for the last two billion years. But those days are over. It's not just some select calling off to the side. Jesus is an intercessor forever, and the family business is intercession. And he has grafted us up into his eternal ministry. Why would we be anything other than intercessors? To be a believer is to be an intercessor. To be given access, to be a human being, is the glory of being given access to talk to God. My goodness. God always starts intercession by washing us with this truth. You're my sons. <laughs> do, you want to, do you want to see your prayer life increase? Begin to get verses. Open your heart. And let him wash you with his affections of how he feels about you. Let him wash you in his affections of your belovedness. Let him break off the shame and the guilt 
and the lies and the wrong paradigms of the knowledge of who He is and begin to see yourself as He sees you because He begins to wash you in His affections and as He washes you in your affections, the ceilings begin to break off of you and you begin to awaken to inheritance. And when you begin to see, He's given me Boston. He's given me New England. Oh, my goodness. You feel this way about me? You've put me here for such a time as this? And that everything that's yours is mine? You're saying this is mine? Yes. I love you. I love you. This is the decree. (laughs) Really? It's mine? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's yours as you do one thing. Ask me for it. Ask me for it. Ask me for it. Keep asking me for it. Open your mouth and begin to ask me for your inheritance, which is my son's inheritance. Begin to ask him for the city of Boston. Begin to ask him for New England. Begin to ask him for everything he's dreamed of. See, we're not trying to twist a reluctant father's arm. He's trying to wake us up to what has already been given to us. Do you believe that? Beloved, it is the hour to ask. It is the hour to ask. And it's the hour to find yourself in the house of the watchful and the wise. In the midst of a community of people. Doing it with other people because this is my ceiling. But our ceiling begins to lift. And it gets higher. There is a dimension of corporate fullness that will only be known when we gather together. The Christianity was birthed out of a corporate prayer meeting. Do you think he's going to release another Pentecost outside of a corporate prayer meeting? No. We're going to see a global upper room established in every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That so blessed me as I was hearing uh, Bethany talk about the nations that have come to Boston. I mean, heck, you're asking for nations. They've come here. They've come here. Nations are here. Nations are here. Ask Him for them. God's brought them here. God's brought over Muslim communities so we can begin to contend for the heavens to open over them and the man in white to show up to them in dreams and say, I am the Son of God. I was crucified, buried, and raised again, and I'm coming again soon. Hallelujah. (laughs) Anyway. It's time to ask Him. Everybody say ask. Get your mouth open and ask. God didn't blink, let there be light. And He didn't think, let there be light. He said, let there be light. I want you to know something right now. The power of what happens when mouths get opened, it releases the purposes of God. It releases the purposes of God. When Daryl sings, atmospheres shift. When you open your mouth. See, this is the revelation that's hitting us. Is One, our belovedness. That's powerful. But number two, that little Corey Russell can have such a profound impact on the eternal one of the ages. And that he actually moves at the sound of my voice. That is mind-boggling to me. That's the real principle of Psalm 8. What is man? David's looking at stars and suns and moons. He goes, what's a five foot five 
pound of dirt and water. What is man? You've made him lower than the angels, but yet you've crowned him with glory and honor, and you've set him over the works of your hands. I don't get it, God. How can I? You know that's what's going to hit you when you get to heaven? I've been talking about several things that are going to hit you. Regret will hit you. This is another thing that will hit you is this. I cannot believe that I and my choices had such an impact on God. You know, that's the very nature of the judgment seat. Is this. Cups of cold water make Jesus cry. Little unknown acts make Jesus cry. How much more are words? It's time to get your mouths open, people. It's time to get your mouths open. Quit living in between ears and begin to prophesy. Genesis 1 gives us the principle of intercession. God has plans. Spirit brooding. The word is spoken. And we need some prophets to take their stand on the wall and begin to prophesy over Boston. Begin to declare songs, singing over her. Washing her in the truth. Washing the church. Beginning to ask God to begin to set pastors on fire. Begin to shift things and begin to raise up new breed of leaders and shepherds that are interested in God's dream. Get your mouths open. Psalms 110 is the same principle. You sit and I'll make your enemies your footstool. (laughs) That's the father working for the son. And in Christ, beloved, we have been seated. And we are called to rule in the midst of our enemies. We are called to rule. How do we rule? We ask. We prophesy. We declare. As he declares it in Psalm 110, you are a priest forever. You are a priest forever. Jesus is a priest who sits on the throne. And as we see the kingdom and the priesthood brought together in this man, he rules through intercession. It's time to get our mouths. Let's just stand. Let's ask the Lord to come and mark us tonight.